0: Well, (laughs) Really? I've really (laughs) cut down on my coffee. Yes, I know you had. That's and that was really difficult. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I I would say that I have probably one to two glasses of soda Mm -hmm.
1: a day.
2: So, so when you say glasses, do you actually pour a glass of soda, or do you? Wow, you still buy like the big.
0: I I still get two liters. Yeah. Oh my God.
2: I didn't even know they made those.
0: And (laughs) and then drink it that way.
2: Cause you know, we used to have when when you're a kid, you have the pizza party and they used to do it where you could order the the liters, you know, with the pizza, like Domino's and pizza and all that. I just, and I just remember, I was just like so thrilled to get that corn syrup sugar in me. I'm just like, fuck it. Just give it to me hot. I I, I just, just, you know, pick up the bottle and just like, like a, like a, a zombie baby, just like, mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, as old habits die hard. And, um, I, uh, you know, you can still order two liters, Jeff. From, uh, I
2: did not know that that from, is crazy from
0: places, yeah, yeah. You know, what the- has disappeared is this is you remember the super size me era where you could go into McDonald's or someplace and say, super Yeah, he." Size me.
2: He he ruined it for all of us. He did, jerk.
0: (laughs) Morgan Spurlock. Morgan,
2: I'm calling out Morgan Spurlock. I'm like, you jerk! You just had to go ruin it for the rest of us, didn't you?
0: Now, now I can't get half of a two-liter in my combo because of him. Uh,
2: I, you know, I, I, I didn't need to know that the French fries don't digest that well. Thanks, jerk. Because up until that point, it's just like you want to make. Anyone offered you McDonald's French fries, you're like, hell yes!
1: It started like, that whole movement though,
0: because uh, you know, we, now you know that people uh, had to shift to the to the calorie based menus, right? Where where I they, remember that, when those started. How, how
2: annoying! Oh where, my god! You know, the
0: Big Mac combo is like twenty five thousand calories, and you know. It, but it, but
2: but then again, you know, the thing with that too is just like you know it. It's fast. Food. right you knew what you were getting in. you know what you're eating
0: so it's not going to help me really just it's like do i want garbage or less garbage right mm. it's, it's
2: i say more garbage sir yeah. <laughs> i'm an american i like my garbage
0: I like my combos i like my I, guns i do uh, yeah
2: i want my swap tay
0: my swap that's right god i'll never forget that just never heard anybody say it that way before. It's
2: like,
0: what? Yeah.
2: All right. Swat tea. Swat tea, my friends. Well, we're we're a couple only PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hazes, Dr. Joseph Watson. Uh, Other than tackling uh, the fast food issues uh, that Mm -hmm. face us in the 21st century, uh, we mainly talk about film. That seems to be our, uh, uh, as the British would say, ballywick. We watched a couple films this week. Uh I watched a film called Cure from 1997 uh from writer director Kiyoshi Kurosawa and uh Dr. Watson watched a film called Game 6 directed by Michael Hoffman. Uh what was that 2006? Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. Yeah, I you 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 pulled one on me. I I it, what? it took me it took me a second because I was just like, you know, this sounds familiar. And then I looked it up real quick. I went, I now I remember about this movie and we'll get into that. But I okay. I, I, okay. uh, I want to lead off today uh, with with this particular film.
0: I knew nothing about this film, Jeff. I knew nothing about Cure. I knew n-
2: it, it came to me on a list through Crime Reads, which is a website that's a subsidiary of Literary Hub. And. They had gotten on a jag talking about uh, J-horror, you know, Uh, and the J-horror, I know nothing about, see, this is a big gap in my cinematic knowledge. I know nothing about the J-horror movement of the late 90s. You know, we're talking about Ringu, Ring, and uh, 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 what was some of these other ones? It's... uh... Bolts. Yeah, uh, uh like audition I think is one which is supposed to be really nasty. It um,
0: is. Is from, from, oh, is from it? is it really still on my top 10 of of best mm. horror, yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I heard I just I've always heard it's really nasty. Like it's
0: just it's, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, what do you what do you know about J Horror?
0: J Horror was uh really a movement that was I don't know probably about 5 or 6 years Uh, of solid like stuff where you know um, Japan was really uh, producing these very creepy effects laden films and then they were getting uh, just sort of uh, swiped up and stolen by American distributors and so they would make an Americanized version um, of it but known for their grit, gore, um, Mm -hmm. the visceral nature um, and just really creepy stuff audition is a terrifying movie and uh, that's one of the ones i would pull out of that era but you know i think the 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 thing about j-horror was there was a lot of conversation in both scholarship and just sort of public culture about the changes that would take place between like when a j-horror would be adapted for american audiences and how Mm -hmm the endings would sometimes change to be a little more upbeat or right. I mean, just, you know, just kind of the Americanization process of that. So a lot of interesting fodder for what Japanese audiences are sort of accustomed to and what they like versus what American audiences like in their horror. So it's good fodder for, uh, for discussion about the genre for sure.
2: Well, I know, you know, cause I had friends that were into uh, Kung Fu Kung Fu movies, and that had a resurrection in the nineties, you know, as well. Uh, in and, and it's my understanding that, you know, really the, the DVD import culture really took off in the nineties, which gave us this sort of movements to understand about J horror and Kung Fu and Bollywood and, you know, all of these, you know, all of these things.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably fair i mean uh, you know dvds yeah i mean it was, it was one of those things where you had the explosion of video stores still mm-hmm. going pretty strong and so you know when they sort of worked out distribution flow you'd get these movies in and you were like what is you know what is some sometimes you couldn't even pronounce the title right but you were right you were like this is interesting or i'm, I'm fascinated and it would kind of go in a I remember at Blockbuster, there used to be a section for it called Foreign Horror.
2: Oh, I did not have that at the uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama Blockbuster. Well, that was at the Blockbuster
0: that, you know, that I managed. So maybe, maybe it was us, but we had, yeah, we had foreign films. And then next to the foreign film section was Foreign Horror. And it was like one shelf. Mm -hmm. It had, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20 titles on Mm -hmm. the shelf. Um, But yeah, that's how I discovered Ringu for sure mm-hmm. um, was through a rental. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I would say this film Cure uh, again, written and directed by uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Uh, I don't believe there's any relation to Akira uh, Kurosawa. Um, it doesn't have any of these. What I've heard described is there's there's no there's a little bit of gore in it from you know they show uh, this one. Fairly gnarly scene, kind of where someone's skin gets peeled back off their skull. They're already dead, but you know what I mean. Like it, but it didn't really have any of that. What what I would describe as, uh, you know, graphic horror, visceral horror. This this movie plays out more as a psychological police procedural almost. And and mm-hmm. I have found that uh, Japanese filmmakers mentioning Akira you know, Kurosawa I mean who was an absolute master of procedurals I mean his his crime movies people always talk way too much about the samurai films because I'm like his crime movies are immaculate like they are just so well paced tension in the whole nine but uh yeah this this is just more of that that you know kind of you know thriller uh, police procedural it's got a little uh, uh, strange. Uh, uh uh mystery elements to it because it gets into talking about um i don't want to give too much away about it but you know it starts talking about some occult and and mysticism stuff and uh Mm. the basic the 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 basic premise of the movie is that the police are dealing with um murders you would almost say they're ritualistic murders because the bodies are first killed one way and then mutilated another like with a giant x cut into them, uh, not vivisected, but just like a deep X like cut into their into their body, usually up near their sternum, yeah. sometimes into the face or not. But um, you come to find out that the police have actually been sitting on it and not reporting it to the because re- they know that they've got something, you know, they know they've got something big and they don't want to yeah. blow it, you know. But the confounding thing is is that they always find the murderer. Uh, and the murderer has no idea that they did this thing, but the killing is exactly the same kind of killing, but the murderers are different. So everybody, you see, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's just it's wow. got a it's got a really fascinating premise about it, and then there's this mysterious figure that is that is introduced that comes to be really the villain of the film, uh, and it and it goes from there like the the police detective, you know, trying to figure out. You know, how, how is this, how is this person doing this? How is it, you know, how is it, how is it connected? Sure. It's so well constructed. Like everything is claustrophobic. Everything is very enclosed, small spaces. And even when it's a big space, again, he uses the the nifty trick where you put the camera back, put a wide angle lens on it. And, you know, you can cause that compression mm-hmm. Um, and it just. It's got that weird, uh, not weird. It's just got that pacing in it, like it's just quick, rough edits, like snap edits. You know, it's just like you're in one place in one scene, and then boom, you're somewhere else. Like, might be with the same character, might not. Very, you know, shake you up editing. As far as that, jump
1: cuts. Yeah,
2: I would basically call them jump cuts. Yeah. Um. And and for our audience, a jump cut is just exactly like it sounds, right? Like it just goes. It's not a smooth transition at all. It's just. Boom, you know, and you're somewhere and you're somewhere else, you know, um, all blues and grays and whites in industrialism and like in his color scheme and in the clothes that are worn. And it's very, it's quasi Lynchian in its, in its construction of, of not just the color palette, but also of the pace and also of there's very, there's basically no music in this film. He uses sounds, oh, wow. like, you know, that way that Lynch would do those soundscapes in his background when he does his own, for people that don't know, David Lynch does his own sound editing on every film that he's ever done. Like he, I think that that's the one other thing in his contract where he's just like, um, I do my own sound. Um, so it's a deal breaker. You know, it's just probably <laughs> you know one of those. Bonjour. but Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely very industrial. Um, lots of weird messing with your head, almost subliminal noises. Uh, that that are very effective. Uh, and and you know, overall the performances that he gets out of his actors are fantastic. Here, I mean, everyone, it's 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 certainly a, a, a by the numbers kind of you know cop criminal you know, chase him down, but he kind of wipes that out too. Like I said, by, we, we know who the, who the killer, is. like we know who the real killer is. Like we, we, we're aware of it. We just want to know how he does it. Just, we're just like the, the, the detective, you know, with, with the lead detective, because we want to know how the hell he's doing this. How is he getting people to murder someone who means something to them in this ritualistic way every single time. Right. So yeah. I mean, it's, this film's got a strong hook um, and, and it's all, it's almost two hours long, but it doesn't, I gotta be honest, due to that jump cut editing style, it never drags. Mm. Like it just never drags.
0: So would you say to people that this is a, a serial killer film? Would it fall? Absolutely.
2: It's a serial killer film. Yeah. So, so that's why I was saying like, I, I, cause I was, when I was reading about the film, they were just like, it's part of the J horror, you know, output and movement. I'm like, not and again, I haven't seen any, so I, that's why I'm asking to yeah. you. I'm just like, this is not doesn't strike me as that is that type of film.
0: It might be on the fringes of J horror. I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it sounds like that movie for people who are who enjoys. It sounds like sort of a mashing of like Dexter mixed mm-hmm. with you know, Seven or something yes. like that, right? Like, like that's it, a pretty it, good. I'd say that's uh, a pretty good description. But what, what you're describing to me, that's what I'm kind of getting the vibe about. Um, yeah is like merging those two things but really more interested in um what would you say like the pathology of the serial killer or the yes
2: I, and i mean they have this they have the serial killer in custody for the last honestly like the last half of the movie right and they're right. just trying to figure you know well, how That's how do you a do a
0: cool it? approach though you know because yeah. normally serial killers are or you know it's a who done it kind of thing and they're they're tracking and it's a cat and mouse kind of thing and what you're saying is that they kind of give that up at the beginning
1: mm-hmm.
0: very early on. Right. That, that there's no cat and mouse, there's no questions of identity or anything like that about who the killer is.
2: No, once they, 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 once they bring him in, they bring him in.
0: Yeah. So it's just about their exploration of his pathology and his sort of processes as to how he does it.
2: Yeah. How the hell does he do it? You know, that's, that's the basic question that they have. Cause they can't figure, you know, they can't figure it out. And, the audience probably has it figured out beforehand. At least I, you know, I did uh, as I was watching it, but I I think that's an intentional also. It's just like, you know, so you can at least relax and then get into more of the characters. You know what I mean? Cause it's just like, once you let that go, this isn't a mystery movie. They're they're not trying to trick you with anything. Right. Right. You know Um, once, once the hands played, it's played and you know it's just from then you're you're just enjoying you're along for the ride if that makes sense like it's, it's, it's 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 more about now you're enveloped in this world and again it's a very specific very crafted place i mean it's it's this part of japan again all these motifs of nature uh constantly we've got you know enclosures uh uh lots of sounds of nature sounds of industrialism um i will say this water and fire play a very very large role in this film like not not only aesthetically but actually as as key ingredients in in right. in, in, in what in, in what transpires so just you know i was just so impressed with what on paper had to be not that impressive you know what i mean but here when you see it fleshed out it's pretty impressive folks. I, I mean, I gotta be honest. This is, this is a pretty solid film. Uh, you know, it's got an ambiguous ending, which not always a big fan of, you know, but you know, just like anything, you got to end it, you know, you just, you gotta,
0: you gotta. Yeah. I think it. as long as it doesn't feel like a cheat, you know, no. I'm okay with ambiguous endings, unless you're building towards some sort of big reveal or some big question that has been put out there and then you choose mm-hmm. not to answer that i mean there, i mean there's very specific reasons why someone chooses to end something ambiguously sometimes mm-hmm. it's they're not really sure how to end it so they're just gonna end mm-hmm. it up, you know and just well we'll just leave it up to the audience mm-hmm. um which frustrates you know you can feel that i think as an audience member like when something ends and and you want more resolution or you want more closure and you feel cheated, like you got cheated out of it versus mm-hmm. someone who does that as an artistic choice, like maybe they've written something that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily call for a clear full resolution. And it sounds like that's something that-
2: Yeah, and, and, and here with, with what Curacao is doing mm-hmm. is that, you know psychology plays a very large part in this like actual psychology the occult aspects of it also play heavily into the ambiguous ending but uh so so yeah i'm glad that this was kind of my first you know toe dip into this to this era of japanese you know of of, of japanese filmmaking so right. i I'm, I'm now looking forward to you know uh, uh uh seeing you know uh uh ring or or maybe even you know uh, uh audition uh we are lonely phds i'm dr jeffrey hayes he's dr joseph watson and uh we're sitting here talking movies today i just got done discussing my first toe dip uh into the japanese uh, horror movement of the late 90s with a film called cure which was written and directed by kiyoshi kurosawa uh dr watson what is your film this week <laughs>
0: well it's a it's a very strange one right um michael keaton is in this movie okay what's your what's your favorite michael keaton movie yeah i know right this dude is 40 year careers mr mom it's easy, mr easy mom one. yeah
1: yeah
2: i mean that that's just that's just like a, a an all timer you know i mean yeah, I just love Mr. Mom. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, well, I ran into somebody this week who um, has been listening. And um, she asked me what, um, what movie I was doing this week. And I said, game six, and you know, and, and uh, that it's got Michael Keaton in it. And she went, Michael Keaton. Hmm, <gasps> don't know, yeah, I mean. Wow.
2: Well, I mean, he went away for a while. He, he went away for, for a long time. You know, he before did. he showed up. I remember the first time he showed up again, I, I saw him in The Other Guy's. Mm-hmm. as the police yeah. captain that keeps yeah. dropping TLC references. And yeah. he was so good. Like, um, I was just like, why, where has he been?
0: <laughs> he's, he's just a really, really good, versatile actor. He's done a lot of comedy, but he's also done some great dramatic turns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Clean and Sober was a movie he did in the late 80s. He's just yeah. phenomenal in that movie. Um, you know, and he recently, I saw uh, his work in The Founder, um, oh the mcdonald's the thing yeah of ray crock yeah and that that also was just he's just so good he has this uh ability to captivate uh an audience at least for me he's very captivating like i like watching his choices and he's very he's a very soothing character i mean i don't know he just um he has lots of uh, of really strong personality and uh game six this movie is really just a tour de force for him. I mean, Mm -hmm. he, he's in just about every scene and, um, it's really a casebook study and kind of watching an actor kind of experiment and explore the, the craft. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, but I think you got to start there, you know, and talking about him because he's just central force that kind of drives the story. But I mean, I told this, uh, this listener, I said, um, Beetlejuice, there you go. and that and that was that you know that kicked it in, you know um, uh, because I, I didn't need to go as recent as Spider-Man homecoming, although he's in that too. So I mean oh my God, the scene! Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's an ancient actor who hasn't you know done any I mean he's very active like the today, scene so.
2: in Spider-Man homecoming where <laughs> Peter comes and of course it's the reveal moment, you know, where he knows and he's he's doing some work with food and chopping. And he's so good because because he does the thing with the knife to intimidate, but not intimidate like a dad. Where he's just like, "Hey, Pete, you want some of this? Yeah, I'll watch you." All right, yeah. Like just <laughs> what what I would what I would call Keatonisms.
0: He's got a lot of uh, really good charisma, and he makes good choices. And um, I think he's going to entertain you, or he's going to at least engage you if you're watching. You know, some of his some of his work. The other thing that kind of drew me to this was. Um, I didn't realize that I like Michael Hoffman as a director as much as I.
2: What are some as, films he's directed?
0: As I realized, so okay, so he did this little gem in the late '80s called *Promised Land*, which is really uh, Kiefer Sutherland and Meg Ryan are in this movie, and um,
2: that's that's ringing a real vague bell. I'll have to think yeah, about think that. Got a
0: basketball star and his girlfriend, and they kind of run away and do hmm. kind of a Badlands kind of thing where hmm. they. You know, live on their own and mm-hmm. escape society and all this good but a really bizarre film for the you know for the 80s uh but it stood out to me here here's another one that's that's probably you probably love soap dish oh my god yeah, i mean that's just a fantastic movie right soap dish um one of my all-time favorite romantic comedies he also did called one fine day Oh, the Clooney
2: George film. Clooney yeah. and
0: Michelle and it's Feighi. not terrible. Yeah, I, well, I think terrible. that's a '90s attempt to do a screwball comedy, mm-hmm. and of course, we know screwball comedy doesn't really work in in present day because it was really pretty oh. bound to a very specific era of history.
2: But yeah, Clooney tried it one more time with the Cohens in in irreconcilable. What was it? Uh, where he plays the
0: Intolerable Cruelty or something.
2: Intolerable Cruelty. It just it's painful, like yeah. to watch that film because it's just like it's just like yeah, this film didn't know this film didn't need to be made.
0: <laughs> just a just a good good A for effort, but not really yeah. not really good on the back end. And then uh, if you really want to see a strange movie, uh, Michael Hoffman's film Restoration from the movie Yes. Robert Downey Jr. and, Meg Ryan, again. and uh, Meg Ryan again. Just um that is a very very bizarre comedy. Um mm-hmm. but if you want to see Robert Downey Jr. doing some really weird stuff that's your movie. All right. Uh and then uh I think most recently The Last Station came out in 2009. Okay. It was a movie about Tolstoy. Um, so Wow. Yeah, Hoffman's got a really interesting kind of backstory. He's kind of a literary guy. Uh, in fact, Winter Malton, when he was talking about this movie, Game Six, said, mm-hmm. Never before has there ever been a movie made for and by writers. Is that a compliment?
1: (laughs) I think think it can
0: be, but I think Leonard's trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of dig at at a couple of other things. Um, And I think that probably comes from the fact that this was uh, Don DeLillo's uh, first and I think only screenplay. It is his only
2: screenplay. And I, I, you know, I remember when I read about it years ago and I wondered if someone had, because I, I, I at first thought that I didn't know it was original screenplay. You know, I, I thought I'd wonder, is this like, oh, God, did they try to adapt to Underworld? But I am incorrect.
0: Well, it's an interesting. It's an interesting story about the development of mm-hmm. this whole thing. Uh, DeLillo wrote this screenplay in 91, 1991. Mm-hmm. It took 15 years to get this thing made. At one point, Altman was attached to it. Um, I could see that. Yeah. I could totally see it. In fact, I, I, Hoffman's great. It's a good film, but I, Altman would have made it something radically different, which I you know, would have loved mm-hmm. to have seen his exploration of it. But um, this is a movie that, for those of you who don't understand how this process really works, um, this movie went through Sundance in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, people take their projects to Sundance really in the hope of having a 48 to 72 hour window of excitement Mm -hmm. So that a distributor will buy it and latch it up and say, you know, we're going to, we're going to market this. We're going to distribute this for you. Mm -hmm. And it did not, I mean, it it got some good buzz, but it didn't really garner a lot of interest because the studios were like, how do do we really market this? Like what, you know, what kind of movie is this? And so they Mm -hmm. found a distributor and it had a really weak opening in 2006. And so it did not do well at all. Like it lost Mm -hmm. money. Um, And it's really sad because in in reading some of the history behind it Hoffman was was there's there's so much. Hoffman knew Billy Buckner like all that. There's all this like backstory mm-hmm. that I'll have to post in the Discord because it's just too much to cover here. But
2: okay, wait, hang on. So let's but let's start then with
0: the story. Like, so <laughs> yeah, so okay.
2: before we get into all that, and you, yeah. you're mentioning Bill Buckner, I know who you're mentioning, but let's... <laughs> yeah.
0: but everybody else is like, what? Yeah, okay, yeah, what the um, hell? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we uh, so the story is about a playwright named Nikki, he's played by Michael mm-hmm. Keaton, and, and Nikki has written a new play. It's getting ready to open and uh we we, this all takes place in one day uh the movie does so it's october 25th 1986 which happens to be the same date that game six of the world series was being played between the new york Mets and the boston red sox now there's a ton of sports rich sports history behind that Mm -hmm. series uh but the biggest thing out of that series was in game six in extra innings, Billy Buckner mm-hmm. let the ball, ball roll through his, his legs. legs, and that. Well, last. now hang on. In Bill
2: Buckner's defense, he didn't let the ball. Well, go okay, okay, he, all right, all right.
0: He 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 misplayed the ball. He, he tried to make a play, and it, it didn't work. It out. didn't work. Out. Yeah. Uh, and it's really kind of cursed. Bill Bill Buckner's dead now, but it really kind of cursed yeah. him for uh, a long time. Um, but anyway, so um, Nicky is a huge Red Sox fan, even though he mm-hmm. grew up in New York nobody really understands like why he just didn't become a Yankees fan like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause then you'd be happy. Like his dad says, <laughs> oh, why didn't you don't like the Yankees. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so it's really, so, um, so the, so the, the conflict really kind of swirls around what is going to happen with Nikki's life. If this play is a hit mm-hmm. or if it's not, and he's carrying all of this anxiety about the Red Sox who had not won a world series at the time in 1986 they had not won a world series since 1918 so a huge drought right curse of the bambino all that stuff is 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 wrapped up in the story so he's wrapped up in that and completely kind of ignoring the fact that his broadway show is being um haunted by the local theater critic named steven stein uh schweimer who's played by robert downey jr uh And uh, this guy, this critic just destroys all these Broadway shows and everybody's terrified of him. And, you know, he's been so cruel in his reviews, he's killed shows and he's coming to review Nikki's play. And so everybody's like, well, you gotta, you gotta be prepared, you know, because uh, you know, he could, he could destroy your show. Right. And so Mm -hmm. uh, the conflict is, is what's going to happen with this play? Is it going to be a success and is Nikki going to uh, release his sort of addiction um, with his sports fanaticism uh, or, or is he going to show up on opening night and support his, uh, his show? He chooses to skip opening night of the show <laughs> and go to a bar and watch game six instead, much to the detriment of of what happens because it did, it did not end well uh, for mm-hmm. the Red Sox. Um, and he seems to, you know, sort of anticipate that's coming, you know, and I, and I think that the problem with the film, Jeff, at least Mm -hmm. from a marketing angle was how do we, you know, the distributor wanted to market it as a sports film, which it's really not. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of sports history there and it certainly has a lot to say about sports psychology and uh, sports fanaticism. Um, But it's, it's really a movie about anxiety and failure and the fear of failure. And um, and how that plays out through our addictions to uh, some of us have addictions to sports teams. And we start to see and gauge how successful our life is based on how our sports teams are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he keeps telling people in the movie, baseball is life. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the Red Sox have this way of, you know, losing in this amazing fashion. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he equates the Red Sox failure with his, what he thinks is impending failure of his new mm-hmm. play because it's so personal and it's his his first time he's really been vulnerable and put himself on stage. Like his, his life with his family and his history is all written into this play that's about to open mm-hmm. up. So he's really terrified about being exposed and not feeling worthy enough or good enough to receive the accolades. And so I think he feels like if the Red Sox can just pull it out, then that's some kind of validation, validation that he's worthy and, and right. And so it really dips into that, you know, um, sports fanaticism as a representation of our childhood. Right. And, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: how um, you know, when, when you're attached to a team that loses perennially and I know I see you smiling because you, you, you feel this psychology. I know you do with the Cubs.
2: I do. But, yes. um,
0: uh, but, but it really does delve into that and explore kind of how those kinds of sports fans uh, act in the world, behave in the world, make mm-hmm. choices, um, you know, based on how their sports team is doing, you know, well, I shouldn't do that because, you know, that's going to give them bad mojo or bad luck, or, you mm-hmm. know, um, I got to wear these socks because these are the lucky socks. And the last time they won, I was wearing these socks. So I got to wear them again, that kind of like psychological fanaticism. Um mm-hmm. So the, the movie does really explore that. But um, so, yeah, the story is is kind of, you know, the central thread is the play. And then, you know, we kind of have these these conflicts that arise, like, are the Red Sox going to win? Is the play going to get trashed? Um, you know, or is it going to be a success? And so those are kind of the driving forces behind it. But it's, it's not a sports movie in that classical sense. But it does have a tremendous amount of rich Sports history in, in included um, in the narrative, and there are a couple of other things. This movie is a comedy. I mean, I, I think people miss the humor. Delillo writes amazing dialogue, and mm-hmm. you can tell that all these actors are just chewing up, especially Keaton, you know, but just chewing up
1: mm-hmm.
0: this dialogue. But Robert Downey Jr. is having the time of his life in this <laughs> in this role as the theater critic who haunts everybody you know
2: now is this is this uh sober robert Robert downey jr yes. or it is sober yeah. okay
0: yes this was post uh rehab and he was you know sort of slowly coming back around and 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 doing work and um he did three days on the movie and hoffman said he was very you know conscientious of handling robert downey jr and and mm-hmm. making sure that it was a safe environment and that you know he was Um, allowed to explore but but to stay within you know safe safe parameters Um, so it was definitely on uh, RDJ's like return um, to uh, to acting because he you know he's he's so talented and he's done so many great movies but you know there is for those of us who've been with him from the beginning you know we we did see that dip you know when he Mm -hmm.
1: went
0: just massive substance abuse and and, uh and had all kinds of problems but gosh he's recovered Yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's doing great
2: well I, I'm curious too about this film because uh I, as a music nerd you know i I read that yola tango did the music for this film what yeah. what is that like does awesome. is it is it like a-
0: awesome <laughs> it just gives it this kind of that what I kept thinking of was um how they were able to create such a sense of chaotic traffic Mm red light, green light like all all these like and the music just feels like you're in this um carnival with him you know you're Mm -hmm. in this chaos with him you know um so is it
2: it, then is it paced is it fast it is is you know uh, editing style matches that pace it doesn't really ever slow down it's only one day
0: slows slows down in some of the dramatic scenes um Mm -hmm. because it's very theatrical in that way they had a very very small budget jeff i this Mm -hmm. this is this is what i would call truly independent cinema oh wow they had uh five hundred thousand dollars and they shot this thing in 20 days now how do you shoot a film that's supposed to take place in you know manhattan Mm -hmm. uh same day time period piece right so you got to find you know cars, pay phones, like all, all the stuff from, from the eighties. Uh, how do you do this under a $500,000 budget? They pulled it uh-huh. off, you know, but wow. they were basically using like certain streets. They had permission to block off certain streets, uh-huh. uh, especially for the asbestos explosion. There's an there another like trope of the, <laughs> right? Um, but they, uh, but yeah, they, they basically were using the same cars, in the traffic scenes, and mm-hmm. it's the same streets, but it's just angled and framed in a way to make way, yeah. it feels like you're in, you know, this uh, this New York of the '80s that was just mm-hmm. graffiti, you know, late um, uh, everywhere. So they did a great job. Um, but the the dramatic scenes are very contained, you know, to like one or two characters, and so mm-hmm. those were shot on sound stages in, in interior. Mm -hmm. Uh, sound stages that were built so you do have kind of an intimate feel but they're able to create this chaotic manhattan feel um with and the music really helps i think in that in that uh in that vein
2: these types of films i think are really excellent examples of number one very competent directors who know how to work within limits you know know the limits ahead of time can work them out can block it out you know i'm sure they probably filmed interiors at silver cup you know uh you know yeah. at, at the time the warehouse
0: um, in new jersey the wa- so which, I mean, which is basically a yeah. warehouse yeah. in new jersey yeah. Yeah. whatever you could find it was cheap yeah yeah so i mean 20 days is nothing i mean that's that's so fast i mean just yeah. uh, i just don't, i'm still amazed at the quality of what they were able to pull mm-hmm. off with that i mean and all the actors uh worked for scale so keaton and robert downey jr and katherine O'Hara and some of these fantastic mm-hmm. actors, you know they're getting 100 dollars a day and they're taking mm-hmm. like the lowest pay because they believed in the script and they wanted to. You know, Keaton described it as as like a really souped up student film.
2: Well, it also it, exactly it kinda, how he
0: described It,
2: it, it kind of strikes me as after after hourish.
0: Uh huh. Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? Like that same vibe. Is yeah. that well, is it, that...
0: It's, it's Griffin Dunn. Uh, oh, Griffin, it's in it?
2: Okay, I didn't Griffin know that.
0: In it and was a producer on it, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm not surprised that it's getting that after hours uh, vibe for sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, like there's a great backstory too, between how DeLillo met, um, Hoffman and Mm -hmm. Griffin Dunn, uh, and Amy Robinson, the other producer, um, you know, Mm -hmm. these folks have been around Hollywood for a good 20 years, you know, making deals and, and getting stuff done. I mean, um, Amy Robertson worked on mean streets with Scorsese. So, I mean, there's this, you know, these are not like novice people, but they're working in independent, Film constrictions, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's all about your time and your money. Um, and they they certainly pull it off, I think. Um, I would have to sue producers or whatnot.
2: You throw a name like Don DeLillo out there, you know, you're gonna go, you're at least gonna take a meeting,
0: right? Right, right. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because the you know, the script had been shopped around for like 15 years, and the one note that DeLillo said he got from a studio, and he he strikes me as being a very sort of practical. Upfront guy, very direct. He's he's reclusive for sure, but like yes. he, you know, they asked him in the original script. The only note he got was, "We don't think the cat should die," because I don't want to give everything away. But in in uh-huh. the, the movie, there's gunplay, and in the original script, apparently the cat just gets shot and killed, like just gruesomely, and that's the only note he got from the studio was, eh, "Don't don't kill the cat." Uh, Which is interesting because
2: I I, I thought the old Hollywood...
0: Well, he took it out, yeah.
2: Well, I thought the old Hollywood axiom was you can do whatever you want to a cat, but you cannot hurt a dog because the audience will turn on you.
0: I I think it's any animal. Yeah, Yeah. any animal that dies, like instantly the audience ratings just like, they hate it. I mean, look at the success of something like John Wick, right? I mean, that the opening sequence in that, you know... um, Yeah,
2: I have to remind myself that that film's premise is vainly like revenge for my dog like that's what it's it, seriously yes. like I mean
0: somebody kills your puppy and so you're gonna go take revenge um I'm
2: gonna kill all of you
0: yeah. <laughs> so yeah so I mean unless unless I guess the animal can die if there's like you know restorative justice like done mm-hmm. in this in the story but yeah that was the one note they gave uh, to Delillo and yeah the other you know the other things Jeff to what you to watch this movie for the sports history. Mm -hmm. and also it gives you just some amazing theater narratives like backstage behind the scenes i mean even more so i think than birdman because Mm -hmm. it gives you this this film gives you like just narratives of how like people working in theater are surviving on like rummaging through trash cans and Mm -hmm. i mean i mean because they can't get work or they don't have solid work um so it really gives you a, a, a different perspective of behind-the-scenes Broadway um, as well as that rich sports uh, history. And I choked up, Jeff. I really did because I didn't see it coming. when they get to the point where – no, I'm serious. Where they, where they get to the Game 6 stuff, Ben Scully called that game. and
1: when oh, he ben passed Scully away this week. Away yeah. this
0: week. And, um, you know, we had just gotten through yesterday with all the tributes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Know, ben Scully. And so it was very, very fresh. And I did. I choked up when I heard his voice. Sure. Um, uh, And, um, but yeah, so, so he's narrating the, the game, you know, in the background, you see some footage, but it's, it's all the highlights. It's nothing too, Jeff, when baseball is represented in movies, Mm -hmm. they really don't fairly represent baseball because baseball, as we know, is a very slow paced game. Yes. But all you see in the movies is like the cuts where all the exciting things are Mm -hmm. happening and it gives people the false sense of baseball. It's like, yeah, there is those exciting moments, but you got to wait huh. through all the, you know, <laughs> ball one. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got to wait through all that stuff before you get yes. to the good stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, there's just some great, great history. I had forgotten that Roger Clemens pitched for the Red Sox. That is correct. Yeah.
2: Pre-juicing. Clemens.
0: Yeah. But, uh daryl strawberry and dwight gooden were playing the straw, for-
2: the straw yeah. that yeah. stirs the drink just like they used to say and then take the cocaine
0: doing lines of cocaine right <laughs> yeah, we're not making that up people that's, that's uh no
2: this is actual facts this actual- is being slanderous <laughs>
0: yeah. um so uh and it made me i had to go back and listen to uh dan patrick's t- interview last interview with bill buckner because dan patrick was there on the ground Mm -hmm. and got to interview billy buckner right after that play Mm -hmm. um and i had to go back and sort of like remember some of that psychology because i mean it was just devastating for red sox fans Mm -hmm. because they knew it was over you know uh, and
2: the mets had come back they were leading that series and the mets came back to win it you can get in touch with us a number of ways we have a discord The link to said discord is in our show notes over there. uh, We do crazy things like chat, you know, chat about movies. We also post anything that we talk about, like supplemental materials. I post full films. Uh, i like and i and i let people know uh i let people who are on our discord know what we're doing uh, a couple days ahead of advance of of when we drop you know to give you a chance if you want to watch the films and again like i said if it's available out there i will post it like i'll post the actual film so you don't have to spend any money all you got to do is just click on the link and you know watch it where you are but anyway the link to our discord of course is in our show notes here uh and speaking of how you can get to us you can subscribe to this show on so many platforms now. We have even, we've expanded out to 10, including Apple, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, Podbean, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your podcasts, folks. You can, you can and Stitcher, all those will throw Stitcher out there as well. I mean, and uh, yeah, I mean, you you want to subscribe, please subscribe, rate to the show, leave us some feedback so that we know uh, what's going on. If those two options don't work for you, you can email us lonelyphds at gmail.com that's l o n e l y p h d s at gmail.com with any uh, any questions that you have for us and until next time i'm dr jeffrey hayes
0: i'm dr joseph watson and we'll see you then